choir, orchestra, praise band, new guitarist, all of it. God bless you. Good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming to worship your God today. Welcome, if you're listening on our simulcast, we welcome you. We're waiving the $2,000 fee for the simulcast today. Don't send that in. Just kidding. Do you know sometimes circumstances aren't what they appear to be? Circumstances may be something quite different. Just ask Bubba. It seems it was Saturday morning. He got into his big old farm truck and went into town. Thought he'd get himself some breakfast. How many of you even eat breakfast? This, most some, some prefer it, some don't. In our house, it was kind of a, a ritual. And we had an assembly line. I'm on be at the uh, stove, and gas stove, with a baby on her hip with a frying pan, cracking eggs with one hand, and someone would be at a four-slice toast, or someone would be putting butter, and someone else would be putting the kind of jelly you wanted on there. Someone else set the table, and that's what we kind of did. But uh, Bubba loved to eat breakfast, and he pulled into that downtown cafe. You know the place where just a lot of the locals go? Pulled on in, sat down, got himself a couple of eggs, bacon, hash browns, biscuits, honey, jelly, apple butter, hominy grits, black-eyed peas, red-eye gravy, whatever you want. He had it all coffee. And he's got this big meal in front of him. He's just about getting ready to start when there's a rumble outside. Up pull six motorcycles. They park, come on inside, and they just see Bubba there with all that food in front of him. One of the bikers comes over, grabs a fork off another table, eats some of his eggs. Another reaches over his shoulder, grabs a piece of his bacon. Now that's fighting stuff, isn't it, Terry? Grab my bacon. Another one gets his biscuit, takes a big bite out of it. Another one takes a cup of coffee and takes a swig out of it. And all the time, Bubba's sitting there thinking, there's six of them. What can I do? He decides just to sit there. Finally, he said, I'm just going to walk on out. He walks to the counter, pays his bill, walks on out. All six of those bikers are just laughing. Leader says to the server, not much of a man, is he? He said, I guess not. He's not much of a driver either, though. He just ran over six motorcycles. (laughs) Circumstances aren't always what they seem. Today, as we look at the life of Joseph, he's got some circumstances in his life, and it's kind of, frankly, when you're reading through this, you begin to wonder when you go through chapter 37 and 39 and hit 40, when is this going to end? Is he ever going to get rewarded for doing the right thing? And we're still looking and seeing. Joseph, as we look at his life, thank you. In chapter 39, verses 16, 17, and 18. She kept his cloak beside her until until her master came home. Then she told him this story. Okay. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me. To make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. So here's a husband coming home from his 
busy day at the palace, whatever he was doing. And his wife is saying, that person that you brought here, that Hebrew that you brought here, was seeking to make sport of me. Well, amazing, isn't it? She makes up that line. She had basically, Joseph had been given charge of everything in the house. If you were here last week, Potiphar gives him rule over everything in the house except the food he eats. And time after time, Potiphar's wife keeps coming back to Joseph and telling him, look, I'm available for you, period. Joseph doesn't do it. It says he refused day after day. So finally, as we saw last week, he refuses one more time. There's no one in the house. She takes advantage of the opportunity. Joseph's running away while he does. She grabs his cloak and he leaves. I said last week, it's way more important to leave something of monetary value than to sell your testimony. And he leaves and he's gone. So we left him last time with the servants that are there. But let me just say a word in here to those that, well, that look at some of the media, social media, uh, entertainment media, all that, that tells you and glamorizes adultery or fornication or relationships before marriage. They glorify, but I want you to see what the Word of God says. It's important to look at it and see because the Word of God tells us the truth. Bring up the passage in Proverbs, if you would. It says in Proverbs 7, verses 24 through 27, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray in her path. Many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. It's talking about the adulteress. And it's two-way street. It could have been talking about men that are looking after that, but it's talking about this because many times men, you see wives, and sometimes you see these really wealthy people have all kinds of money that are 85 years old. Nothing wrong with being 85. When you see a 21-year-old on their arm, what does it tell you? Right? And, and so there's something living inside of us that says we can recapture our youth. We can recapture our stature. We can say, ladies, for the sake of you here, to the other men, look what we caught. You see how special we are? That says to the other men also. And it works the other way also with some of the ladies that say, look, look what I caught. It's part of the of the, the sinfulness of human nature. We want to be something, want to be validated by another person rather than be validated by God. And when you seek to be validated by another person, there's always another person, there's always another thing. Remember, it's always one more thing. Solomon, one more thing. David, just, just one more thing. And so the Word of God tells us right here, remember, if you get involved in that, it's a highway to the grave leading to the chambers of death. I've seen families killed, relationships killed, people's emotions killed. I think you get it, okay? Let's go on. Potiphar's wife had just accused Joseph of one of the other servants. She tried to hurt his name and character. There will always be people out there that would seek to hurt your name and character in some way. They're looking for it. Be careful, Christian. Be on the lookout because there are people that want to wreck your name, wreck your testimony. Now, circumstances aren't always as they seem. I've got some things in my pocket you may be familiar with. What's this one called? 
Hmm? The young people don't recognize. This is called money, right? <laughs> not a credit card. No, actually it's not. It's actually a gospel tract. For a million dollars. Would you sell your soul for a million dollars? Yes or no? You realize people sell it for a lot less? Don't they? A lot less than that. Gospel tracts. Gospel tracts can be used in lots of ways. I know it's old-timey stuff. I'm not saying that's the only way. But there's a story that goes with it today. Some that are good. Some we'll look at as we go through this. Circumstances aren't always what they seem to be. 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be, always be prepared to what? To give an account. To give an answer. To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Don't be arrogant. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. We have Potiphar's wife slandering Joseph to all the servants and to her husband. He's doing what is right, his good conscience, his good life, and she's being slandered. Sometimes you can do the right thing, and someone may slander you for doing the right thing. Look at them. Who do they think they are? What are they? They go to church. They go Whatever it is, they can fill in the blank. And sometimes they can come from someone as close as your family. Who do they think they are? Remember, God wants you to keep your testimony. Your testimony, first and foremost, is before him. Make sure that you understand people are looking. Don't think of just one little thing. There is no such thing as one little thing in the kingdom of God. She accused Joseph to his fellow servants. I told us last week back in verses 14 and 15. She called her household servants. Look, she said, this is to cover herself. She said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us. Let me let you feel the pain of this sin. He's been brought to us. Parenthetically, he's talking about because he's here, none of you got the job he got. He's been brought to us. She wants to slander him in a lot of subtle ways, but a lot of very open ways that she brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. What a lie. What a liar. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. It doesn't even make sense. But anyway, that's what she's claiming. And she is the boss's wife, and who are you going to believe anyway, right? She slanders them, does that. But thank God the story doesn't end there. Probably the servants were probably glad to hear that uh, this report about Joseph is going to get him fired, meaning someone else is ready to climb the ladder. By the way, there's usually someone ready to climb the ladder and step over you. If you haven't learned it by now, it's out there, right? When they let it be known. There's someone, listen, some of you have been in a job for a while. You've got different raises. You're climbing up the ladder in life. Someone's ready to climb over you and get that position and have that. And dear friend, what they do to the person in front of you is what they may do to you one day, okay? Just part of it. Bottom line is, she accused Joseph to her husband. That Hebrew slave you brought us, some things don't change. You want marriage 101? Hmm? Look at it. 
the Hebrew slave you brought us. She blames the husband. But listen, it's not suddenly just there. As they see what the women are doing. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. What does Adam say? God, the woman you made. He blames the woman. It's just part of it. The best thing you can do in your marriage to guard against that kind of thing of pointing the blame. Sometimes you just don't need to say anything. Sometimes. Not every time. Sometimes you just need to step forward and just be quiet. You know, Jesus modeled that so wonderfully, didn't he? He just modeled it. He says he was like a lamb before the slaughter. Sometimes there's just nothing to say, but just let someone vent it and go on. Sometimes it's just a bad day at work, or sometimes it's just hormonal, or sometimes it's just plain old sinful stupidity. Either, all those, you sometimes have to just let it roll on for the sake of the kingdom of God. But we see something here. The Hebrew slave you brought us. So she puts some blame on him. She wants to galvanize Potiphar to her side and get rid of this Joseph because, you see, she had lust for him. But the lust turned to rage, didn't it? It turned to another sin. It turned to rage and it turned to slander and it turned to treachery. And we see this throughout the Word of God where instances like this happen. And probably in this room it's happened also. I know of two people that have lost their positions, lost their job because of slander and lies. Two of them that I know of personally. It says, because they're acting consistent with the word of God, not going along with the team of liars. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He turned, excuse me, he burned with anger. The word there, burned, has the idea of coals when they get really Red and white hot. He is mad, and he ought to be, if it was true. She turns him against Joseph. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That's not the prison where you want to go that has the televisions and the library and uh, exercise room. This is not a good place. This is a very high security kind of place. It's for people who are enemies of the state. And that's where Joseph goes. So we can see he has done the right thing. But remember something. Our circumstances aren't always as they seem. Gospel tracts can be used for lots of things. This is called God's Bridge to Eternal Life. This talks about how God bridges the gap between mankind and God by sending Christ. This is one that's... Some of you maybe could use something like this even today. It says, here's an extra tip. It can be used, designed for servers. has some good things on there to servers. You can usually leave this with a quarter and you'll get a very good response. <laughs> I need to. I need to write an atheist gospel tract, don't I? You leave it on the table. So it says, here's your tip and there's not anything in it. Well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in you. I just believe in myself, so I'm not giving you any money. Bye. Your boss ought to pay you. Bye. But believers. Anyway, there's something on there. Thank you. So many of you are gracious with servers. Thank you. God bless you for doing that. Just a little side note. If you're going to leave that, be generous. Genesis 39, 19 through 21. But while Joseph was there in the prison, what was there? What does it say? The Lord was with him. No matter what happens to you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
God goes with you. God's not confined by a cell block or bars. He goes with you. It says the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Isn't that amazing? You know what stays consistent? Joseph's circumstances don't always stay consistent. He's in a cistern. They're going to kill him. He is out of there. He's sold to slavery. He's gone to a caravan. He goes to a house. He's sold on the auction block. But something happens. Gets into a place. He's got a great place of responsibility. Great job. Couldn't ask for a better job. Everything's looking good, and the bottom falls out again. But in the prison, he's there, and Joseph's master took him, and he put him in that place. And we find the innocent man confined to a place of guilt. It says about Jesus, he was numbered with transgressors, doesn't it? He was numbered with transgressors. And there's some times you're going to be numbered with transgressors because you're a Christian. You're part of the evil of society. You're part of the one-way people, the people who believe in absolute truth and morals. I said to someone recently, do you believe in unabsolute truth? What do you believe? Is anything absolute? Well, no. Well, that's absolute. You just said no. Anyway, when we find an innocent man confined to a place of guilt, what do we do? You see, circumstances don't always tell the true story. It's only part of it. Not all what they seem. Bottom line is, here we have an injustice happening to someone. Did God see it? Of course he did. It says God was with him when he went, and God was with him before he went. And God is with you in the midst of that class at UNCG or A&T or in your workplace or in your high school or middle school. He is with you in the midst of those places. Well, the next slide, if you would. This is a very important principle. If you get this principle and begin to take it into your life, it will help you face things and difficulties in an incredibly wonderful way. We don't have to necessarily like what happened to us, but circumstances aren't what they always seem to be. I want you to think about this. The place where the king's prisoners were confined, many times that's the place of confinement. And that place is the place of God's enlargement. Many of you are going to feel confined to what you can say, what you can do with your family meals when some of your family doesn't believe in Christ, what you can say in your class, what you can do. Some of you can find some things that you were born with that are physical issues to struggle with and deal with. Some of you deal with emotional issues, but I want to share something with you. Many times the world's place of confinement is God's place of enlargement. First, there's confinement. And in a confinement process, we get to see and we get to show God, what is our faith really about? That's called refinement. What is it really about? How do we respond when things don't look like they're going well? Because this goes under the secular saying of no good deed goes unpunished. He takes care of not doing anything wrong with his boss's wife, and he could have, and no one would have found out, probably, no human, and he does the right thing. There you go. Why did I do right? I didn't get the right response anymore. More people in my class gave me some hate mail. More things happened in the workplace. 
But you see, life goes by really quickly. And what you do that has eternal value is the only thing that ultimately will matter. And it's in that process that you have the opportunity to show God what you're really made out of. To show him what you really believe. And to show yourself what you really believe. Because you see, in that confinement, there is refinement. It says that God showed kindness to Joseph. And the warden, the head of that prison, decided, I like, this guy's doing a great job. He kept his testimony with him. See, they can replace you geographically from one place to another. They can put you in a place of confinement. But will you allow God to work on the refinement process in that? Because when you do, that's God's enlargement process. Where do you see it in the Word of God? Well, Moses was confined to take care of sheep for 40 years. I can't imagine day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and you can't either because we've never been in a palace because that's where he was raised. He had all the food he wanted, all the luxuries he wanted, everything that was available that was the cutting edge thing, the luxurious thing of the day Moses had. And what does God say? I said, I'm going to take you to a place. He confines him to a wilderness. He's out there with sheep. And when you look at the territory where he went, no wonder they needed a shepherd. It was just yuck. A, a, A very desolate place. Moses had to learn something in that, didn't he? It looked like it was over for Moses. His life is through. He made a mistake, and his life is through. That's his confinement, his refinement is being out there. And he's going to learn something about leading dumb animals. Because pretty soon he's going to be leading dumb Israel, isn't he? He's going to be leading people. I'll show you. Watch as God teaches him. And then after that, we have a place of enlargement. God says, okay, now you're ready. You may be in the place where it doesn't look like God doesn't see the end of this thing, but he does. You allow that refinement process to take place. Carry your testimony into it. God will bring the enlargement. Look at Noah. He looked pretty stupid, didn't he? The Bible doesn't record anything that's being said as he's building this thing. But you've been around enough skeptics in your life to imagine the daily walks with the coffee passing by. Where stupid Noah's nailing some stuff together. What in the world is nut doing? He's been saying it's going to rain. God's going to bring judgment. He's been talking about sin. And he's wasting his whole life. What a waste of time. Hey, Noah, I don't see any of this thing you call rain or flood. Are you just dumb? A week passed, a month passed, a year passed, ten years passed. He works on it for years. But he's been preaching all along. He is what? He's put in confinement to that process. This is the task you're confined to. But God all along the way is refining him. And there's the place of enlargement. Because without those eight people in the ark, we wouldn't be here, would we? There you go. And I know you may be flipping through and say, I happen to be reading through Acts, Pastor. How'd that work for Stephen? Hmm? They call and they find someone filled with the Spirit. This is a good man, someone you'd want in your church. And they took him and they stoned him to death. Where's the enlargement there? I'll tell you where it is. They tried to confine him with the stoning, didn't they? 
And they took his physical life. But let me ask you something. Don't raise your hand. How many of you will have a testimony to last 2,000 years? How many of you around the world today, someone is bringing up a literal name, and it's your name, saying, look what God did. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not an indictment on any one of us. I pray you have a testimony. If it was recorded, it would last that long. But Stephen didn't end up a loser. Stephen ended up a winner. You know what? Ask him one day. Ask him. God used that to enlarge his testimony. I would dare say there's not many people who have as large a testimony as Stephen. Don't look at the circumstances and make the judgment call through human eyes because circumstances aren't always as they seem to be. That enlargement process is God's business. While Joseph was in prison, God did take care of him. The Lord was with him. Psalm 69, 33 says, The Lord hears the needy. He, and what? does not despise his captive people. You may be captive to something, and you can't get out of it. You feel like you can't. You stay with God. Let that refinement process do what it needs to do. And sometimes, you know what it can be? It can be a certain sin. You feel like you're captive by it, and it continues to neutralize you. Can I say this to you? If there's a recurring sin in your life, and you keep keeps coming back and say, God, I don't know what else to do. I keep asking you to take this away. Know what God may be telling you? I want to show you how dependent you need to be on me. That's what I want to show you. You see, without me, you can do what? Nothing. No matter how many seminary degrees, no matter how many books you've read, no matter how many titles you get, I want to show you, even in this weakness that I made in you, urges I made in people, I want to use those to show you how dependent you need to be on me. That's a process that's incredible. Bring up the next slide. Thank you. As we look, it says God showed him kindness because no prison can lock out the Lord's gracious presence from his children. God is with you in the midst of that struggle. He sees if you struggle with a sin or struggle with a job or struggle with your class, struggle with a spouse, struggle with a boyfriend or girlfriend or get whatever it is. He sees it all. It says in Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never have what? He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Don't be discouraged today. If you're in a place of confinement, if you feel like that walls are closing in or you haven't been treated right, it's part of it. They didn't treat Jesus right. Jesus had victory and ultimate victory. Stephen did. Noah did. Moses did. Don't be discouraged. God's no respect of persons, and he sees your circumstance, young and old, period. He's in the midst of all of it. Circumstances aren't always what they seem. Don't look at the temporal to judge the eternal. God will bring about his will in your life. Let him go and enlarge your ministry and your territory. Now, as we look at this next slide, it's important because I want you to see God granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. When I was looking for a place to do my car detailing business years ago when I was in college, I heard about some men who were Christians, belonged to churches, that had some service stations. I went to them, but they didn't feel like they could rent me out one of those loo bays so I could do the cars. And there's no indictment on them. They just didn't. I got a little frustrated. I said, I'm trying to make a living here and go to school. And do all that. How am I going to do this? 
Well, I kept going to people, and lo and behold, the person who said, yeah, I'll take a chance on you, was a Jewish man. His name was Stan. And little did I know that uh, there would be all kinds of unbelief in that place. I thought I was going to Bible college to get a Bible education, and I did. But I got a real education (laughs) at that place because there were none of the people that worked there had anything to do if any, if if right and morality is here, there are 180 degrees on the other side, verbally, lifestyle, and everything. But that's where God had me. I thought, man, I would like to have these other places. It would be easier. There are believers there. They own these places. But God put me in a place where sometimes I would go in and I'd have to just scratch my head because I'd see a car pulling away that spoke to them, didn't get gas, that spoke to them. They saw the sign out there, and I could tell. I wonder if they told them not to get their car waxed here. And many times someone would come back and say, yeah, we we were told by the guy, don't get your car waxed here. That guy will steal from you. He's not going to wax your car. He'll clean it and say that they lied to him. Amazing, isn't it? But you know what? I went through all Bible calls, and I graduated without one dollar of debt because of God. Let me just say it, because of God. He will take care of you. And some of those people that mock God there eventually end up in a personal relationship with Jesus. But I would tell you, confinement, refinement, then enlargement. Don't fight it. Embrace it. It says in Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Thank you. Thank you, God, for setting us free from us, me. God sets us free from that. Thank him for that. It's a blessing. God can raise up people how? He raises up people who can be friends to his children in the least expected places. I was talking about this man that had no reason whatsoever to trust me to be in his lube, but a man, when I graduated and was leaving, that was crying because he loved that relationship and loved what I was about, which was Jesus Christ. You never know. The hardest thing and the hardest battle you have will be the biggest testimony to someone that's looking at it. Think about it. The higher the mountain, the deeper the valley. And sometimes we want to climb out of that valley before God has his victory in our lives. Let God work the victory. Stay in the confinement. Let God work on the refinement and get the enlargement that God will bring in your life. Joseph learned how to be a blessing even in the bonds, even in bonds and unfair treatment. Who modeled it better than Jesus? Who modeled it better? You see, anyone can be a blessing when things are great. But... In the bonds that someone has kept us or we kept ourselves or an unfair treatment, how do we respond to it? I'll tell you what Jesus did when Pilate's interviewing him, questioning him, interrogating him. It says, like a lamb before the slaughter. I can tell you what it said on the sign above Jesus' head. It talks about him being the king of the Jews. doesn't have your sins or my sins nailed to it. He suffered like an innocent lamb. You need to learn how to suffer better. If there's anything I would say regarding the Christian life, if my exit interview moments before I leave the earth and there's a person asking me, what is it about the Christian life? 
I'm just starting and now is there anything I can learn? I said, learn how to suffer well. Learn how to endure suffering and find that confinement of suffering, whatever it is, to allow God to refine you so he can enlarge your ministry. It is oftentimes through the pain and hurt, disillusionment of suffering that God builds character, godly character, that he builds a testimony, he builds relationships. See, God can use the chains of imprisonment to advance his gospel. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what? What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Where is Paul? He's in prison. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. He was a witness there in the palace. And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains... Most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You may be the very one in your group, in your workplace, in your class, in your neighborhood, wherever it is. That will be the encouragement to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul is sending that from prison. I've shown you these different gospel tracts. And there's many more. I have many different kinds and something I use occasionally. There's no one way to witness. Every day is an opportunity to have lifestyle evangelism witness to people. But sometimes I do, and I'll carry some if it looks like it's appropriate. I may hand someone uh, a gospel tract. Usually if I got to know them even a little bit, I'd say, I'd like to read that. Next time I'm in, tell me what you think. Something like that, if you'd like. Something along those lines. But some people a long time ago spent their entire lunch hour talking to me about Jesus. They'd handed me a track after I'd started to talk to them and spent their whole lunch hour talking to me. They confined themselves to that. Probably on that day when they went back to work, it might have felt like, what a waste of time. All that guy did was curse us, make fun of us, call us stupid. As you believe the Bible, the Bible's not even true. Da, 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 da. And I don't know. They were going with another group of people, but two stopped to speak to me. So I don't know what those other people said to those young ladies that spoke to me that day. But I can tell you this. From that meeting, the circumstance of that meeting, they weren't what they seemed to be because a lot of things happened with that. God used that testimony. Sometimes being detained or confined can be a really good thing because there's times that God says... I put my life on the line for you and I died for you. Would you put your life on the line for me? Can you put it on hold for 30 minutes or an hour or a day or a year? Can you just put it on hold and do as I've asked you to do? And so I bring that there today to say with the, the I don't know what, the simplicity of just having a, an open door. We have cards here. Be a guest of, so you can just hand to someone. Sometimes those are just door openers, so I'm not trying to say here's one way to witness. There are many, many different ways. But it's just another one. And God may open the door in someone's life that you know. If you do, you never know. The circumstances may look bizarre, but the bottom line to this whole thing is something that's really important, something that you need to remember if you forget everything else. Our circumstances are not as important as what we do with them. Never forget it. Our circumstances 
are not as important as what we do with them. Remember that. And remember how you handle them can make an incredibly wonderful eternal difference. Let that be what's important to you. How you face those things and how you go through it. As pastors come forward now, I would ask you if you have any decision you'd like to make because God has spoken to you about your witness, we'd love to pray with you right up here. You know why? Because most people are afraid to witness. They have a fear. What will happen if I speak? What if I don't know the answer? I don't want to identify with this. What if they think I'm weird? Well, God already says if you're a believer, you're a peculiar people, all right, in, the, in a good sense. We have all kinds of issues. All kind, we all have it. We, if, if I said raise your hand, we all have those issues. But God, God says, speak out. I'm glad the people that talk to me didn't confine themselves in the prison of what will they say because they only knew Christ for three months. They were new believers. They hadn't been churched enough yet to find out, I'll just be okay, I'll just be like everybody else. Don't be like everybody else. Be like God wants you to be and believe him. Secondly, if you don't have a church home, you need, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a good Bible-believing church. If it's not here, find one. But if you believe it could be here, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love for you to come today as a candidate for membership. We have a new members class coming up. Come forward today. Let us know about that decision. We want to rejoice in it. We're not here to play a game or just be a building on Lawndale Drive. We're here to reach people for the best cause in the world because everyone will leave this earth. Where will they spend eternity? God has us here to let them know the great message. It's like an ark. There'll people that'll mock it. There'll people drive by and say, what a waste. There'll people that will see you and say, you wasted your Sunday morning, you could have slept in. It's okay. You do what's right in a place of confinement. Well, God will give you the refinement to have the enlargement, to have a ministry that speaks volumes. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ yet, listen carefully. You're going to leave this earth one day. Don't leave without your sins being paid for. Religion can't save you. It's not you plus the man upstairs. It's not you and your philosophy. It's God's way because heaven's going to be a perfect place. Requires perfection to get in and Christ died on the cross. Bled and died, paid for our sins. Do you understand what the Bible's message is? Even if you don't believe it, that's the Bible's message. Christ paid for all of our sins. They placed him in a tomb Three days later, he came out of the tomb and offers eternal life as a gift. Did you see him come out, Pastor? Nope, I wasn't there. There were some people, though, that saw him later. And all but one of his apostles died a martyr's death. All they had to say is, Jesus didn't come out of the tomb. Jesus didn't. I'm not going to leave my wife, my family, my grandkids, all my friends. I'm not going to leave. Would you die for a lie you knew was a lie? So I've seen it through eyes of faith. He came out of that tomb and he offers eternal life. And I know he's changed my life and you're the next one he can change. Don't wait because you don't know about tomorrow. I'm going to ask you to stand and respond however you need to. Up here, come forward so we can pray with you.